What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 359. My name is Steve. I'm one of the co-hosts. And as always, I'm joined by Ron and John. Guys, how you doing? Pretty good. 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 Both of you good? Pretty good. J- just saw a couple of crazy trailers. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I was say what also is pretty good at this time of the day was, yeah, there's two tra- trailers that came out of the... <laughs> The yeah. the Comic Con of, of Brazil, or I don't know what the official name of it is, but <laughs> I like uh, the Comic Con of Brazil. It sounds it, like you it, put it, it, it in <laughs> Google Translate. It is like <laughs> the Comic Con of Brazil. This is this is the Comic Con of Brazil. Yeah, that that's what the translation is. No, I can't remember what it's called. I feel bad now, but yeah, it's like that's what everybody's referring to it as on Twitter. Um, yeah. So yeah, Disney had a big presence. I'm actually looking it up to see what it's actually called. Um, today they had a big announcement, a lot of footage, some guest stars. Ronald, I bet you $50,000. It's called the Comic-Con of Brazil. I would love that. All right. Like the South of France. No, wait, wait. I don't, I don't bet you that. I think so. So so it's called CCXP. It's Brazil Comic-Con. So, I mean, it's not far off. Pretty close. Man, I shouldn't have gotten scared. That technically I could argue. You should have sat down on that. You should have, you should have bet them 500,000 credits. I'd be sitting on 50 large right now (laughs) if I had stuck with my guns there. So, yeah. So, so Disney's got a big presence there and beyond other appearances, news, you know, they talked about Mandalorian season three coming out. Season three. Yep. Yeah. Season three coming out in March. And um, the big talk today before it actually dropped was that they would be debuting trailers for uh, Indiana Jones, the new Indiana Jones film, which we did get a trailer for. And it's called Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And uh, also a trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume three. There was speculation that they'd be premiering there. Whether or not they'd be posted publicly online was the question. So a part of the day, I was like, am I going to have to watch like a leaked version of these trailers? But um, just right on the bat, like as they debuted there, it seems like they made them online and were released publicly right after one another. Um, so, yeah, we got our first looks at the new Indiana Jones movie. Let's start here real quick. You know, go around what you guys think of this trailer for Dial of Destiny. I think that uh, the previous two Indiana Jones, it's almost like they forgot what made Indiana Jones special. And this trailer remind it, it, it's almost like whoever made this, whoever wrote this, watched was really a big fan of the the first couple Indiana Jones, and it it, it feels special like those did. It feels like a sense of urgency. Indy looks like he's really in trouble. You know what I mean? And it and re- regardless of what he's doing in the movie, it doesn't feel that crazy to me. Like that's the cool part about it. it feels a little grounded. It feels like. He has bad knees, but can still do really cool stuff. And I love that. So I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm an Indiana Jones guy. I mean, I was watching this trailer, realizing that the reason I'm excited about movies like this is because of movies like this. You know, <laughs> like right. yes. I grew up with Indiana Jones and Star Wars and all that stuff. And that's that's the reason why I have such a place in my heart for these big populist popcorn movies that right. get you going. You know, it's, it's like it's like I've said this before about you feel sort of, oh, well, you know, the Beatles are one of my favorite bands. Star Wars is one of my favorite movies, you know, yeah. growing up with just good pop culture. And when something is that kind of mainstream and that good, it really has a place. You, you guys might remember I had an Indiana Jones poster on the wall down yeah. here uh you know so i mean obviously that was a nostalgic move for me in my basement that wasn't something that i thought no this is suitable for framing but um in a way it is and i think indiana jones has this kind of special quality to it i would i would maintain that really only the last indiana jones movie was the one that lost a little bit of the verve ronald the last crusade 
uh, is I think highly regarded by most people that like the character and like, like, uh, you know what I'm thinking that I thought that two came out after that. Like no. I thought that that's just the monkey skull or uh, <laughs> kingdom of the crystal skull. Crystal skull. <laughs> but, but I mean, somehow I think that, a monkey worked in there. Yeah. You got a monkey in there somehow. But as far as what you said about it feeling grounded, I mean, this movie looks like it might be getting into some, some crazy stuff. We don't know what it is yet. Yeah, and there's yeah. talk of like time travel or some kind of stuff like That's that. Really cool. Um, I think the dial of destiny is exactly the kind of pulpy title that I was sort of hoping it had. There was yeah. rumor going around that this might be called Indy or might be called Indiana Jones. And though I liked that because it kind of fit with the sort of Logan aspect of James Mangold who directed Logan coming over and saying like, we're going to do this sort of, I mean, no one's really saying Indiana Jones dies yet, but people are saying this is the send off. Harrison Ford isn't coming back. There's talk of, of, of handing the franchise in some way to Phoebe Waller bridge, like not recasting Indiana Jones, the character, but keeping that lore going. So I think that this, by its nature, feels like what you said, Ronald, they're trying to make a special movie. Bringing in the guy that made Logan, to me, is a, is a real move towards saying, yes, we are sort of taking this seriously yeah. as, as what might be the last time we see this actor in this role. Um, I think the fact that it then has a super pulpy name it just really made me smile. And I think the trailer itself, outside of a couple of digital, sh- like there's some compositing in the scene within uh, with uh, Harrison Ford on the horse running down the street. There's a part where he like turns his head where it looks like a, a digitally inserted face of Harrison Ford on like a, yeah. a CGI model. But outside of that, there's some de-aging and different things going on in this that look really cool. And the chases look great. Like they're going to be exciting, and I've I've just heard too many things about all their efforts to make this thing special. I know I'm believing the hype when I say I I kind of believe they they tried to make something special, and it looks like it's it yeah. looks like it might be that. So yeah, as a as a young fan uh, of this character, uh, you know, in, in in my heart to this day, um, I kind of hope this gets a little bit of that magic back, Ronald, that, that you're talking about. That just feels feels good and feels exciting and feels like a blast of adrenaline, um, which is what you expect when you hear the name Indiana Jones. Yeah, I mean, it's just it just something feels special about the trailer. I mean, I've heard a lot of very positive things about the movie so far, just like in trade stuff from some people I follow, but and some test stuff, test screenings and whatnot. But, um, you know, you look at the cast, you look again, like like John mentioned, we, we were going on our text thread. Like, I, I couldn't believe how good some of the de-aging looked. And it's kind of something that's been going around since the trailer dropped about like how great the de-aging looks. And and I'd even mentioned in our thread, like, and the movie's still six months out. You know, this comes out on June 30th. So, I mean, I'm sure they're still in doing some post-production cleanup and things like that. So maybe even the part that you're talking about maybe looks a little better, hopefully, uh, with the horse uh, and whatnot. But just in general, though, I just think the scope looks awesome. You know, seeing Harrison Ford, like, you know, he has these moments, you know, as these iconic characters. And when it works, it's just like really few things compared to it. Um, especially, you know, if you are if you are an Indiana Jones fan, Um you know, the fact that, you know, you see John Reese Davies in it again and, you know, and you see him in these movies. And I, at least for me, you know, it's like, you know, he's in some two of the great ones and, you know, to see him pop yeah. back up um, and not be and beyond that, like just new faces. You know, the fact that you, I don't even think we saw and maybe briefly try to confirm this, but whether you saw Antonio Banderas character in the trailer or not. Yes. I don't, OK, I, yeah, that well, that was him. OK. I think we got a um, glimpse of him. We got a glimpse of Toby Jones. Yeah, and then Boyd uh, Holbrook. Yeah. And, um, Mads, Mads Mikkelsen. Mikkelsen. Yeah, I mean, just what an awesome cast. And like you mentioned, like, you know, James Mangold, like, 
you know, he's he's been just knocking it out of the park recently. So I just feel like Spielberg picking him to, to take this on and to kind of finish this, you know, with Harrison is just it just all looks good and it feels good. And I just feel like they know they got something here. And I think it's going to just knock it out of the park this summer. I can't I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it looks great. Absolutely great. And, and let's just say a little bit about what we know about the plot just very quickly. I, I think 1969, backdrop of the moon landing, uh, Indiana Jones is sniffing around some Nazi scientists that are working for NASA. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen is a Nazi scientist working for NASA who like is in a race with Indiana Jones, apparently, to get to some artifact that could, it, Mads Mikkelsen said... His character wants to repair the problems of the past or fix the mistakes of the past and thinks he knows how to make the world a better place. And Indiana Jones is trying to stop him from finding this thing. That just makes, I mean, I just get little tingles when I hear that kind of yeah. story, but I think setting it in the, in the, I mean, I think aging up the character, bringing it in nearly to 1970, that's already interesting picturing Indiana Jones in those days. Um, but also just the whole Nazi scientist at NASA, that's just such a fun, I mean, I mean, I hate to say, I know these movies are sort of guilty of making Nazis part of, of a pulpy fun movie, but that's just such a fun extension of the other movies and gives it some continuity. And Mads Mikkelsen is perfect to play that, yeah. that kind of what's going on with this guy. Uh, he seems smart, but there's <clears throat> something, there's something under, under the hood. You know, I just think that's, I'm just so encouraged by that. Like, I like that, that idea of the character. And the, as much as I don't like the compositing in the horse riding down the, the city street, I think the the idea of Indiana Jones on a horse in a subway tunnel in New yeah. York is just kind of like okay that's awesome that just yeah. seems like they're yeah. gonna have they're gonna have fun with bringing him further into the modern age than we've ever really seen him yeah and yeah you mentioned mads again just like dude's just going for the the full set of like a villain in every possible ip franchise that exists yeah. in hollywood now so that's my hannibal kudos buddy yeah. Yeah. um all right let's move on the, the other one we wanted to briefly discuss was the trailer drop for guardians of the galaxy volume three which is coming out in May, just uh, a month before. Got us crying already. Why? Why do they do this to us? I mean, why? I showed Aaron the trailer. I've watched it a few times and I showed her and like immediately she's like, look, looks up at me from the from the TV. It's like, that's not going to happen. Right. And I was right. just like, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, it looks like it. But we're, we're not going to get Baby Rocket and Dead Rocket in the same in, movie. In a, in, in a movie. Come on, guys. Come on, James. Also, yeah. you, you get a quick blimp, uh, blimps, <laughs> a quick glimpse of what I've been. I know I've been talking to you guys about this forever with the character of Rocket Raccoon, that he has a little otter girlfriend in yeah. the comics, uh, Lila or Lila. I think it's Lila, but it's L-Y-L-L-A. Um, she popped up in that trailer and she looked, she looked pretty much on model from the drawings in the comics. I mean, it was really this whole wow. thing they're doing with combining the potential of Rocket's background, how he became what he is with other sort of animals that are like him mixed with these characters who seem to be half human, half animal and a villain who's who the high evolutionary is rumored to be the villain. And that character in the comics, what he did all the time was like create a new race of animal people to be to create the perfect organism and then decide right. they weren't good and then he would either enslave or or kill every mm. just created but he's constantly like toying with planets and and entire races of people that way wow. um so if they tie in like rocket's origin with that kind of guy 
I just feel like James Gunn clearly has always had a soft spot. He's always said Rocket was the character he relates to the most. He said he's bringing the story he wanted to tell to an end with this movie. He, we know he's not just leaving the Guardians franchise. He's leaving Marvel at the end of yeah. this. So I, I think that's part of why, as you said, Steve, why are they doing this to us? That's part of what <laughs> James Gunn does is like <clears throat> there. He will go for the heart yeah. and the, the laugh and everything a little bit harder than most people will. And him saying, I'm going to bring my trilogy to a close. I just feel like he's not going to do that without leaving a mark um and i don't think everybody's going to be gone but i think when they say this is the last movie with this team in it i don't think they just mean oh the team breaks up at the end i think they mean like some of these actors like you know for instance dave bautista has said after this he's done so if you have that why would you not make use of that narratively and yeah really and really go for it so um yeah i've been waiting to see them explore rocket's background i just and i just love the idea in both these cases i love the idea that we have a guardians movie and an indiana jones movie that seems like they might be it's just that feeling we were talking about these movies not feeling so special lately and i think between quantumania and guardians it feels like marvel is really heading towards something really fun and exciting and it's fun to see indiana jones kind of join in that group of like oh wait people are actually getting excited people are not people stopped for two seconds making jokes about harrison ford being old and actually got excited about this movie and i think i think that's i don't know in both cases i'm excited for some some popcorn uh you know like heart heart string plucking fun. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. And again, you know, he's out, he's never at a loss for a good song either. I, I love the in the meantime for the trailer. Oh, it's great. Perfect. Uh, um, yeah. So not much else to say about it. It looks great. I mean, obviously, we're all very excited for that. I mean, uh, we're hyped stuff- up. We're saying it. We're, we're we're believing the hype right now. We're doing the fun part oh, of the hype so is, is getting the first glimpse. But it is yeah. it, these were good first glimpses. <clears throat> All right, let's uh, let's just pivot over to required viewing. John, uh, you want to intro your choice for this week? Um, I uh, was just thinking about a movie that I have probably watched maybe on cable when I was a kid, my mom was real big about making sure I saw important movies or movies she thought were important. And as I watched this movie, the lady killers from 1955, um, I, 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 saw all the little things about it that had made its way into my cultural understanding as a kid, but I don't know that I had ever watched this movie. Um, I knew that it was a movie that featured an early performance from Peter Sellers in a not major role, but, uh, you know, a, a, a a secondary role. Um, and I also, I knew that, um, Alec Guinness, who I loved as Obi-Wan, I sort of grew up knowing that there were all these movies he made in the forties and fifties that were really what he was known for. And what he wished he was remembered for (laughs) is that stuff and not, (laughs) not Obi-Wan, but I don't know. I think this movie had an extra place in my heart because when the movie, the Coen brothers remake came out, um, there was so much talk about how it missed the mark of what this movie managed to do. Um, that it kind of had this legendary status in my mind of, oh, that, you know, that's one worth revisiting because it sounds like one of those old movies, again, 1955, that might feel kind of modern when you watch it, or that might at least remind you of a modern comedy when you watch it. And I, I have to say that feeling was carried out for me. I mean, they're definitely, it feels like a 1955 movie, but um, I, I enjoyed the 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 humor and the kind of black comedy of what the characters were trying to do um and i thought it was fun to see alec guinness i mean from the first time he pops up on screen he's playing a you know similar to what tom hanks is doing in the remake a sort of grotesque man he's got these exaggerated yeah. teeth his hair which like should be kind of rakish and cool instead looks kind of stringy and lank and it just everything about the character is like a twisted parody of 
the sort of protagonist you would normally have in a kind of bank heist uh, thriller type movie, the kind of cool guy that you want to see weasel his way out of things. Instead, this guy's just gross. <laughs> and I, I just think it's fun seeing Alec Guinness embrace the humor of that. That feels again, like a very modern idea, a, a, a leading actor who is playing a comic grotesque, um, with that level of energy. So yeah, I, I, I enjoyed watching this, but I also just felt it was, I felt the kind of cultural imprint of it. I've seen and heard references to this story in this movie so much. It was fun to watch it with modern eyes and, uh, you know, see how it held up. What did, what did you think, Ronald? I think, well, one of the things I really like about watching movies of that age is like the pace of speaking in movies is so different. It's like faster in a way that I just, in a rhythm, there's like rhythm to it. Yeah. And that combined with the camera work and how silly this group of, of guys were. I mean, I, I loved how different each one was. And they all, obviously, they, they made them kind of different in, for, for very specific reasons. Um, I mean, I kept kind of leaning towards the Oaf character. You know, it was just kind of a... What's his name? One round. He one round, and he didn't like to be called one round, but they call him one round again, and then he'd be okay with it. Right. Um, yeah, it's just that kind of. I liked him, man. Like, and every, and and he was the sweetest one too. He, he was, was the one, one yeah. who liked the little old lady. We should say to anyone who didn't watch this movie and doesn't know, it's basically the story. If you know the Tom Hanks Coen Brothers movie, but it's the story of a little old lady who rents a room in her boarding house. That she, or uh, you know, I don't know what you call that, just a house where she's letting out rooms um, to a guy, Professor Marcus, who she <laughs> thinks is like a, an erudite uh, man of the arts who claims to be working with like a, a, a musical ensemble that's practicing. And they come into his apartment and they practice, but each one of the men is actually part of a crew that is planning a bank heist. And they're using the little old lady's house as a place to stage all this stuff. And, you know, so they're pretending to be a band that's practicing uh, classical music um, as she as she sort of falls for that and then gradually gets embroiled in their in their heist and, and how that happens. But the idea, the lady killer's title comes from when they decide it's time to off the old lady. And that sets sets up a, a, a series of events where they all get taken out one by one. And I think that's what, that's all I knew about this movie as a kid was, Oh yeah, the crooks all, they try to kill the old lady and then they end up dying one by one. Right. Um, it takes a while for that to happen, but I do think the sort of absurdity, like you said, Ronald, the silliness of, you know, they're kind of playing it straight, but in this weird way, the characters are so slapdash and, just poorly organized. It was like one of those farces where characters are running in and out of a situation and you're having to kind of keep track of who's where. And right. gradually it's like, Oh, one down. Oh, two down. <laughs> oh, three down. That's, yeah. that's like probably what I, I mean, I, I had never seen this before. And I, I feel like I'd only ever heard of it when the Coen brothers film came out, just, you know, not so much as, uh, and it, I guess hearing about it in a positive way, since that film from them wasn't so well received. Um, but, I think that's probably some of the stuff that works best for it, you know, with this being the first time I'd ever seen it was like that kind of like when things start to happen in the back half or back third of the film, when, when, you know, they start kind of offing each other one by one, it does become one of those, like, you're curious to see how they're going to fall. Like, you know, they're falling apart, you know, somehow in this movie, this little old lady is, is going to get away with something uh, that she kind of has stumbled into or that they've brought to her feet. But it's kind of like when it starts to take apart the group one by one, that's where it kind of becomes 
I just found like it was just very entertaining, you know, mm-hmm. like it really kind of stepped up uh, when the movie gets to that point. I mean, even beyond that, though, yeah, I mean, just like the performances are great. I just feel like the setup of the movie is so well handled, you know, for a movie that's only like, I think, isn't it only like 90 minutes? Yeah. It, it's like all the little breadcrumbs through the movie, you know, in terms of where she lives and the relationship with the police and like, you know, her, her reputation that she has with the police, her leaving uh, her umbrella even becomes yeah, a running all gag. that stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's so well placed um, with so little time to kind of like just lay it all out. So that, so that when it kind of does ramp up towards the end of the movie and you start seeing them drop like flies, um, you know, when you get to that last, you know, few minutes of the movie, it just all kind of, it just all kind of felt right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like the comeuppance that these guys get uh, for what they tried to do. It's, it's, it's pretty dark and, uh, but it's very funny. And yeah, I'm not super familiar with this, you know, like the Ealing films. And I, I was reading a little bit more about, you know, that era uh, af- after having watched it, but um, I probably need to try to find some of the standouts from there and, and watch some more of these. Cause this is the kind of thing that I just feel like I don't watch enough of, you know, in mm. in my day to day and in this new world that like there's so much to watch. And it's just like these things I I would have never watched this movie had, you know, had it not come up on this portion of the show. So this is like a, this is like a nice thing. And that's like I don't think this would have ever crossed my radar otherwise. Yeah, um, but it was it was really enjoyable, though. Just you mentioned the Ealing films. Yeah. This this we should say this was a product of the Ealing Studios, which was a London-based studio um, that had been around for a while, but in the like the post-World War II years, like that following decade, roughly through the mid-50s, mid to late 50s, they were known for producing this particular kind of, I mean, people say it's related to kind of the British national spirit after World War II, but it's this kind of stiff upper lip with a bit of fatalism thrown in. Um, black comedies um, but the other movies you mentioned the standouts I uh, in advance of this conversation I was so intrigued by Lady Killers I went ahead and rewatched one that I'd seen as a kid Kind Hearts and Coronets which is incredible Um, has one unfortunate uh, uh, use of a certain word in it but (laughs) I think it's culturally different from what you might expect from the way it's being used but still it kind of like oh that that would be nice not to have that in there but um the um also the movie the lavender hill gang i think that's the name of it uh lavender hill mob um is also very funny and it also stars uh alec guinness um and is a great example of of how movies in those days they could show you someone who seemed like they were going to get away with a crime, but just the nature of movies back then was they always had to show you that crime didn't pay at the very end, you know, in some way. <laughs> yeah. Um, this movie luckily takes care of that by having everybody kill each other in the lady killers uh, in the yeah. lavender hill mob. They have to do a different thing to sort of say that, but no, the, the, those films and a few others are, are yes, they're the standouts from this era, that decade of Ealing studios where, and people say the Ealing comedies and they're referring specifically to this, this, you know, relatively short list of movies that, that had kind of that, that dark humor, a satirical edge, a little bit like a broader comedy maybe, but also in some ways a, a more character-based uh, thing. So an interesting mix of things. So I would say, yes, yeah, Steve, if you're interested in going further, Kind Hearts, kind hearts and Coronets and um, and The Lavender Hill Mob would be the, the other two I would say you got to nice. jump on. But no, I think it's interesting too that in this movie, we, know we don't just get young Peter Sellers. We also get Herbert Lom, who played uh, uh, Dreyfus in the Clouseau films. So you get young Clouseau and young Dreyfus. Um, and if you've seen the Pink Panther movies, you know that Dreyfus is his 
his long-suffering supervisor. Well, that guy plays uh, Louis in this, or Lewis, who is a um, probably the darkest, the, the most legit of the crooks, uh, uh, and yet he still doesn't quite have what it takes. But you know, yeah. he seems like he's the most serious-minded of the whole bunch. Uh, who, if they were all a little, if they were all more like him, maybe this group wouldn't wouldn't have ended up in such a bad situation. But um, mm. <laughs> we really haven't talked about Miss Wilberforce yet. I think that that's an interesting performance at the heart of this movie because she kind of half the movie is sort of like. Uh, the dingbat, you know, who doesn't know what's going on. And then she yeah. kind of knows what's going on, but still doesn't quite know the extent of it. But in the end of the movie, like you said, Steve, her place in society is sort of the answer to the whole movie is, oh, well, here's how the cops don't investigate this further is because right. they think of her as this silly old lady who who's always yeah. coming and talking nonsense. But at the end, she can't even get them to um, come in and like, look at all the money that she got, you know. Uh, so I do think that is like a perfect kind of farce ending, you know, where it's yeah, like totally the, yeah, she sure. kind of ends up winning, even though she didn't really know what the game was uh, that she was playing. But what did you think of Miss Wilbur? before us ronald <clears throat> she was a force man i mean like <laughs> there's a you know I, I love when movies cast older people rather than trying to put makeup on people because there's like a there's movements that people miss there's a slowness that people miss it's not because they can't do it they can't move fast it's just sometimes they just take it easy you know mm -hmm. like my grandma could always grab me for wherever i was you know she was pretty quick and i think about that sometimes it's just it wasn't necessarily that she was not paying attention she expects people to be good people right it's right. like a thing it's just a it, it's not that she was a dumb person like you you just expect people to be decent and then she expected them until they until they it got to a point where she she couldn't right yeah take that you know couldn't couldn't kind of put that veil over it so yeah, I thought what she was doing was really when she was annoying them when he when the guy was in the room and just broke the record because he was so frustrated that she was she tried to kill them by mistake like, yeah. with the bird. That scene was so good, man. Great movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, I also think we've and we've mentioned them getting picked off one by one, but I think the unceremonious way that Professor Marcus goes out is so great that like after this whole thing, he's just killed his last, uh, you know, yeah. competition for the money, and then like that railway, uh, railroad sign, oh, yeah, whatever yeah. that is, signal thing comes down and just bonk, conks him on the head, him. instantly falls dead, <laughs> done. It's just, it's not even like it gets a fanfare. It's just like gonk, nope, you're done. Um, I, I kind of remember the Coen Brothers did a similar thing with their movie, and it was you know. Maybe Maybe one of the better parts of that movie was just how 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 once things turn how quickly the the, the you know the the band of criminals kind of wipes themselves mm. out. But I just love yeah. that moment of like here's this guy's moment of triumph, and the movie doesn't even let it last for like five seconds really before it just <laughs> punk. Um, but that shows you what they they were all about, you know. And then of course at the end the little gag of her this time she's like I I never really liked that umbrella anyway. I can buy as many as I want now. I thought that yeah. was a fun little last tag, but. Um, yeah, and the camera work and the direction. Yeah, this I mean, this is just a, a very sophisticated movie of its time. It's the kind of movie that we complain <clears throat> we don't see a lot of now, which is that kind of like, you know, mid-budget comedy where they're putting some real effort into making a comedy work. Um, but yeah, I really I really appreciated this the combination of sets and green screen and and shooting in the real world. I thought this was a, a visually interesting movie too, which again, sometimes you don't think 
sometimes you feel like interesting camera work was invented in the seventies or something like that. And that's just not true, you know? Right. Um, right. Yeah. So, no, no, I was, uh, it's probably won't be the last time I, I require us to watch something that goes back a little bit because I, I enjoyed dipping into it as well. Cool. The lady killers. Right. Where, where did you guys it. watch it? By the way, I watched it on Amazon. <clears throat> Amazon. Amazon. You found Pinola, it in the wind, Ronald. <laughs> Studio Canal 4K restoration. Okay. You asked, I told you. I, I didn't I want to say anything. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. And it looked good. Yeah. I was just wondering so the people know how accessible this is. Um, yes. Studio, and, Ca Studio Canal also has a streaming service that offers it as well. So if you want to see it in its restored state, like you could just watch it on their streaming service, Studio Canals or Amazon. And you know the way that Amazon gives box. you little sub subscriptions you can use um yeah. there is bfi player classics that's bfi oh cool uh as you with the free trial of that um you can watch those other ealing comedies that i mentioned and, really and, cool. and some more you can see a lot of stuff on there so i would say this seems like it's going to be a, a week-long trial that i'm actually gonna i'm going to use cool. so <clears throat> cool whose pick is it now uh yeah well i think next is uh, you ronald because the last one before yeah, all was, right yeah. um what do Quentin Tarantino and a shirtless <laughs> Isaac Hayes have to do? What's the correlation between the two of those? A shirtless Isaac Hayes and Quentin Tarantino. It's it's a weird one. So it's, no, honestly, I mean, I'm sure I'm gonna go. Oh, I can't believe I didn't think yeah. of that. But yeah, okay. So uh, Truck Turner is a film that came out in the 70s that I ne I've never seen, oh. and I've heard it referenced constantly but what makes it really special is quentin tarantino took some unreleased tracks from the soundtrack and also the main theme and just stuck it into kill bill as an homage oh, to, okay. to, to quentin to uh jesus uh, isaac hayes so my pick is truck turner um i saw this documentary on netflix um what the hell is the name of it uh so it's not so it's black enough so it ain't black enough uh, there's a documentary on Netflix about black exploitation. You should look it up. Really, really good. But what it got me to thinking was I always see this preview of a shirtless Isaac Hayes with a gun. And I'm like, what fucking movie is this? Truck Turner. I've never seen it in my life. And I'm going to make you guys watch a black exploitation movie if it kills me. So <laughs> Awesome. Cool. And the avocado also is in it. Yeah. So, so. Nichelle, um, Nichelle from uh, Star Trek is in it. Nichelle Nichols. Yeah, Nichelle Nichols. Yeah. Yafet Koto. Yeah. Like, this is like a cool cast. And cool. what's even weirder is like, this was a movie that was, that was like, supposedly, su supposed to be completely white. Completely white cast. And <laughs> the director was like, no. I want to fucking make this a black exploitation movie. And God damn it. They hired Isaac Hayes. <laughs> yeah, Scatman Crothers, Dick Miller, God, Stan just, Shaw. Oh, wow. That's pretty pretty awesome be, cast. This is going to be a fun movie to watch. Yeah, I, let's I've, do it. I've not seen... I've only seen clips, and they've only, only been in these kind of uh, black exploitation documentary forms. Uh, yeah, so pretty excited about that. Look All at right. the director, Jonathan Kaplan. Yeah, so like I read what on Wikipedia. What has he done? The Accused? Hmm. 
Not not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. But apparently, I mean, a b- bunch of TV stuff, but a lot of ER. <laughs> oh. All right, let's do it. It, lo- it looks like he did Project X. The Project uh, X. The movie with Matthew Broderick. From oh the, from right, the right, right. Yeah, with <laughs> Helen Hunt. Yeah, and the, the yeah, little yeah, yeah. chimpanzee. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so interested, man. So okay, know. okay. Cool. And, and what year? Nah, oh god. 74? 74. All right, cool. Yeah. I've been I've been trying to keep it like I really wanted to keep it kind of before the 80s. It's like what what, what could it be? Something I haven't seen at all. Truck fucking turn. I've been thinking about it a lot actually cuz I I've been thinking about these guys that kind of in the, in a space where they couldn't really do much, achieved all this amazing you know success you know mm-hmm. he did an entire soundtrack and he like his voice is so beautiful uh mm-hmm. i miss him i miss him and i miss his voice on south park it's like what is <laughs> yeah, i miss it so much cool so um what else have we what, what's what are we Andor. Well, we're gonna. Yeah, oh, we're finally gonna yes. do Andor. We, we yeah, you and I finally finished it, Ronald. John's yes. been patiently waiting for us. Patiently yes. waiting. This is so this sh- has been a. Th- this was like one of those things where it's like, I got so far behind on it. It was just Same. like, uh, I'm gonna just wait and watch it all at once. And last week, I think John, you mentioned like you were curious if like kind of the slow build of the show, or you made some comment about like how. I, said, I, did, I, of, I didn't of, know if binging binge, would, right. would work with because the oh. slow burn build definitely Over, week to week with was the time working for me. Weeks, right. mm-hmm. I didn't know if binging would make it would emphasize the slowness of it or if it would make it kind of more engrossing like a good book yeah. or something like that. So, yeah, maybe I should just ask you, what did you think of Tony Gilroy's extended uh, version of a Star Wars story? I mean, the answer, I mean, quickly with the binging piece, I feel like it made me in- entirely engrossed in watching oh, awesome. episode to episode. I That's mean, great. It, it felt, it felt, I felt very inclined to just Keep go going. right on to the next one, like instead of waiting for the next day or the next moment, I might have time to watch it. But, um, you know, in general, I got to say, this is probably my favorite Star Wars thing I've seen in a long time. Um, Same. You know, and, you know, I, I feel like probably I think, you know, something like Force Awakens for me was probably, you know, it's probably the thing I've liked the most, um, you know, and uh, mainly because of how entertaining it was. And even earlier mentioning, you know, Harrison Ford and, you know, those moments that that movie offers. Mm-hmm. But I guess as a, as, as a different kind of thing, as something not kind of entirely building off of that legacy stuff, you know, with us having met Cassian Andor in Rogue One and, and that film, you know, itself being kind of a prequel to episode four, but it's like, I love the idea of, you know, a movie like this or a show like this, rather feeling like, I mean, kind of feels like three movies, you know, in mm-hmm. a sense or three and a half movies, um, you know, and this more than any of the other Star Wars shows, with the exception of maybe the Mandalorian. But this is just far and beyond, like in terms of scope, scale, budget, like the way it looks, the way it moves, the performances the cast you know i just feel like there's so many moving parts in this the show emotional stakes work, are huge so too. well yeah yeah i mean beyond even talking about the story i'm just saying production wise you okay know, a yeah big, a, a, a big criticism of you know some of these star wars movies or shows or whatever 
um, has been production issues, production budgets, how they look on the screen, how they look on the small screen, whatever. But I just feel like, you know, most recently having, you know, seen discussions about Obi-Wan and the you know, book of Boba Fett and, you know, just how some of these shows have been received. I just felt like this show felt like it was entirely in a different class. Like, you know, you could I would say Mandalorian is probably in the conversation, too, just because of what that show has been able to accomplish for Star Wars. But I just I I. Before you even talk about the story, you know, and, and like the emotional stakes and like, you know, my attachment to the story, I just felt like watching this show felt like what I guess you'd imagine watching a Star Wars universe show would look like, mm-hmm. you know, more than any show that I think they've made, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, um, like the scope of like just the characters and the costumes and like seeing the different locations and the geography of the galaxy and, you know, seeing new areas and things like that, that we hadn't seen. And like, you know, the idea of Ferrix becoming like this base station of this whole season and, you know, and the importance of that town to this story or to Cassian's story, I just thought was so well handled. And I, I love the idea of kind of how they made the, I think with the exception of an episode, you know, as a one-off, but like, you know, how these episodes were like two or three of them were done by the same writer and director directing yeah. combo. And like, it kind of felt like those arcs as it went through the story or this, this season, you know, they kind of came to a close and as did like that kind of production team or whatever. Right. But the overall, you know, production show running of Gil- Tony Gilroy and like, you know, he was obviously involved with, um, with rogue one as well. Um, but it just, it just works so well for me. I like, I, I can't, I, I don't want to like sign a, sort of sounding like superfluous or hyperbolic or anything like that. But I was so surprised how much I liked this because I was very much disappointed in general in the star Wars shows. Um, uh, I really like Mandalorian a lot. Um, it's, it's very entertaining, but there was something about this show, uh, this season of this show that on multiple times, like really got me in the gut. And, you know, made me care way more about characters than I thought. And we talked about this a few times on this podcast, like this idea of like prequel series and staying in this world that we've already kind of seen the ending of. Right. In some ways, like how will they effectively make it work? And, you know, this is an example of how to effectively do it. You know, like it's like they have all these motion, all this motion happening. Um, and yeah, man, I just I, I loved it. I thought it was so good. Ronald? Um, I've, I've kind of said this a million times, but Rogue One is probably one of my favorite Star Wars things I've ever seen for a very specific reason that is very specific to my experiences. And I, and I'll try to let you guys know, um, Star Wars has always been very hard for me to take in. Uh, one of the reasons is there's always this talk of oppression and all this stuff happening, but as a person who's had a million cops around them that doesn't scare me so like that as a force on screen has never been scary to me ground level oppression is something that it took for me to see to understand why you would be so hateful <laughs> towards the empire why you would be you know people being taken out people being hurt and it wasn't until rogue one that i saw that depicted in a way that felt real because i i'd never i can't understand 
the way that they were describing it. And then they showed a couple people walking, marching and somebody, uh, an innocent person getting shot from time to time. It wasn't until Rogue One where you see people on the ground level really being hurt and oppressed and right. a group of bandits coming together to make something happen that I really understood what any of this was for. I was I was literally suspending. I, my, my disbelief was never suspended until Rogue One. And that's one thing that was very important to me when I got into Andor. I'm like, is this energy going to feel the same? Because that's this is the way I felt with Rogue One. Because like I'd never felt that with Star Wars before, right? Andor, like it. I, I was downtown when uh, when uh, the uprising happened, mm-hmm. and uh, I came outside, and there were tanks, and there were people with AK forty sevens and soldiers in the street and stuff like that. And, you know, there's a scene, a couple of scenes that feel like that, that felt like that. How you feel helpless when you're in a place where you, you don't have control. Um, I don't, I never had to imagine that world because it, it exists for me in some ways, you know? So like, this is, is like, if you want to get somebody's attention outside of the, the like nerds and stuff like that, or whatever the nerdy fan base is, this is how you get them. These cool, intimate stories that capture things that feel real, you know, that's that's how yeah. it works. It's not because it's Star Wars. It's because it's good storytelling that happens to be in this world. And that's all I wanted. That's all I've ever wanted. You know, I don't I didn't want them to lean so much on just the name. They were, it felt like they're just like, hey, we're Star Wars. You know, Star Wars, we make good stuff. But this is like a different thing. This this is not even I don't even consider this like the same ilk that the other stuff came from. Obviously, it had to exist to come, right? The apple, I mean the tree had to exist for the for the for the fruit to come. But this is some different shit, man. It 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 struck me in a way that I never thought that I'd ever be touched. When there's one scene where he's being told you know what his what his mom said to him, what she'd expect him to say when getting to this this place. That like, I could I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen this acting level like it. I kind of wish that they'd hire him to be Scarface. By the way, you know he was like up for being Scarface. I I, I hope if they make Scarface again that he's gonna be cast. But um. Everybody working on all cylinders, you know, you're supposed to hate the guys you you hate and you're supposed to love the people you love. And here's the last thing I'm going to say. Love is all we have. You know, that's like this thing. That's like this theme. It feels like the world is going through something where it's like a, it's, it's really intense. And the lesson for this show seems to be like love is all we have. Love is the love of each other, the love of our causes, the love of freedom, the love of. And whatever that feels like for you, I don't have many things that make me feel like that, that, that like remind me of the things that are important to me. And Andor hit me on all courts, man. Like it like struck me. It would it had a it had a very it had a catastrophic my catastrophic sounds bad. It had a very big impact on me. And I'm glad that I watched it. I'm glad Monumental. Kept, monumental. And I'm yeah. glad you kept mentioning it because I, I don't think I would have watched it. Well, well you know, Go ahead. Last thing I'm going to say, I cut off all my devices and watched it. 
which is really important. I'm starting to do that now. I'm starting to be like engaged. I'm turning off all my technology. I'm ignoring things. I'm ignoring the lights, closing laptops. I just took it in, man. I put my phone. I know this sounds like a stupid thing to say. I will yeah. make a point of putting my phone on the charger across the room, putting my I earbud back in the charger across, like, and then I sit down to watch a show. And I do that now if I'm trying to read something now too. I'm not kidding myself. For years, I've been kidding myself that I can have like constant input, and I almost need noise, like, in order yeah. to sit down with something. And I'm trying to remove that need of like, because I'll put on a show so that I can start reading something, or so that I can I'll put on a podcast and put it on his background instantly and start doing something else and it's like i don't why do i need that i'm, I'm create it's like i'm afraid to be alone with my thoughts and sometimes yeah. you do have to sit down and watch something i yeah. i want i i want to so much of what you guys are saying is so great to hear because i, I kind of agree on a certain level with this idea that like rogue one is not one of my favorite star wars movies but mm. i like it better obviously then the i mean it's it's better than bad it's just not mm -hmm. one of my favorites i always felt like it was a little dry or something like that mm -hmm. um and like maybe it had cool concepts but not really like for instance the character of cassian andor is one that i thought was kind of a non-starter in that movie and now when i go back i, I went back and watched rogue one having oh. seen andor and i instantly liked andor a lot more I, I i felt like i was more in for the world i still think that world as depicted in that movie works better as a show because yeah. what we're talking about is a world where and i think i mentioned this last time like you get a conversation between two different mid-level imperial characters and you you find out there are philosophical differences in the ranks about these people who you don't want to succeed yeah. but you also like deidre like you we sort of admire her competence and her readiness for the job, even yeah. though she's horrible. Like if she succeeds, she's horrible. Yeah. And then um, Cyril Karn, I think is his name, um, is like a really funny in ways character, a black comedy kind of look at a guy who's like a climber and maybe an outsider and maybe a little bit of like a, a Star Wars version of kind of like an incel kind of guy or something. Yeah. Um, but he's fixated on this woman and he, he they obviously have this kind of power dynamic going and it's funny and it's a little bit dark and it feels psychologically real. And these are two Imperials on a show that's carving out a piece of the timeline that we, we sort of think we already know. And somehow it's the most interesting star Wars has been in forever. It's probably the best dialogue. I mean, I do think Lawrence Kasdan who has written his fair share of star Wars, he has a magic touch. He wrote empire. He co-wrote, I believe uh return of the Jedi. He, he co-wrote the force awakens. He co-wrote solo. Those are the movies that probably have the most crackling, fun, funny dialogue. I know people like to beat on solo, but the one thing I think you can't argue with is that Lawrence Kasdan understands what's funny about Han Solo and knows how to make that kind of like sarcasm in the moment of something exciting, how, how to make that like both funny as a viewer and also an obvious defense mechanism for someone who's got wounds that they're trying to hide. You know, I just think that right. that character is great, but I think this and Solo, oddly enough, Andor and Solo are the two things that I would say as a Star Wars fan, outside of, as you said, Steve, the excitement of The Force Awakens coming out and just having new Star Wars and it feeling good again. But like, if you were to say, what do you want from Star Wars? Solo is a good indication of what I want. I want silly, swashbuckling fun with, with you know, wild scenarios. Um, and the other thing I want is Andor. I want like, let's dig in. Let's show 
like you said, Ronald, like, okay, we've never really seen the ground level of what the empire does to people before. We've, we've, we've seen it blow up planets. We've seen the tanks come rolling in and the, and the big, you know, people carriers moving in, but we haven't seen like what it means to just live under the empire and to realize that your options are being whittled away and to be on this planet. I I, I didn't check, but I swear we didn't see a stormtrooper for like three or four episodes. Yeah, Once they start showing up, they show up, but it's like even the imperial uniforms, the first couple episodes, we're dealing with these guys who are like security on Ferrex, but not necessarily Imperials. Not to say that we're not right. seeing that. I'm just saying that like they really paid off that idea of we're stripping away familiar stuff. We're stepping away from Skywalkers. We're stepping away from Jedis. We're stepping away from even from Darth Vader. We're saying like the Imperials you're going to get in this show are these military folks and like middle manager types, not Jedis and Sith yes. and everything. It feels cool. It feels real. It feels grounded. Yeah, and it really yeah. had me realizing I'd never thought about, like I said, what the Empire does on the ground level, but also what the Rebellion was doing on the ground level. I always thought the Rebellion was cool. It never occurred to me the the level of personal bravery that each individual person had to have for people to say, we're going to take on the Empire. We're going to take on the air we breathe. We're going to take on the company we're going to take on the man you know i mean like you said ronald it's always been kind of talk it's been part of the rhetoric because we've been at the swashbuckling part of the story but in a way this is the part of the story that could be no fun if it weren't and honestly like i've said i don't want them to keep going into smaller and smaller pieces of a timeline that they've 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 dealt with but if we thought that mandalorian was refreshing just because it stepped away a little bit from the bigger mythos all it's done as it's moved on is get more and more entangled in the bigger mythos by bringing in luke and bringing in ahsoka and bringing in all these these characters and then as much as we love grogu as much as we love mando that that show started with okay it's boba fett but it's not boba fett and his best friend is a baby yoda but it's not yoda you know like andor actually does feel like it's doing something different it's that that thing they say all the time, oh, new creators, new new storytellers are going to get to play in this sandbox. Yeah. Andor really feels like that. Andor really feels like Tony Gilroy getting to bring his aesthetic, who, a guy who admittedly doesn't revere Star Wars. And yeah. he gets to do what you just said, Ronald. He gets to put some meat on the bone of this, this story, this saga that needs that if it's yeah. going to continue. Because as we've seen, the nostalgia for the old days and the Skywalkers and the Jedi, it's cool. We love it, but it's going to be diminishing returns if the stories aren't there, if the characters aren't popping. Yeah. Um, and I think Diego Luna has been like amazing in this. I think Stellan Skarsgård has been amazing. I think the scenes with Saul Guerrero, as far as Whitaker, uh, amazing. Um, I, I wish I could pull her name off the top of my head, but I'm going to have to look. The actress that's playing... Um, uh, Mon Mothma, uh, what's her name? Uh, Genevieve O'Reilly. She's great. Fiona Shaw as Marva. I don't know the actor that's doing the voice of of B2 Emo, the droid, but he's the most heartbreaking droid (laughs) in the whole saga. Um, Everything about this show just feels like they're doing something, like you said, Steve, something kind of special. Like they're really making every scene kind of feel different. And the little mini arcs, we got a great prison storyline. We got a great, like he's part of a heist storyline. And then the last two episodes are dealing with this inevitable conflagration of all the elements i thought it brought things together beautifully in the last moment of the season to know that we're not going to get more of this character for two years but this is where they want to leave us the notion that he's basically saying to this man that's kind of manipulated him and used him like he's either saying like use me or kill me or kill me yeah yeah it's fantastic i just thought that was so so adult and deep and real and yet we also see that andor is a wounded character who's casting about like he needs a he needs somebody to to mentor him at this point. And I think it's really interesting <laughs> that Luthien is going to be 
or Luthen is going to be the guy that does that. You know what I mean? Like, here's a guy who we've seen the tragedy of Luthen is that he said, he's that guy who says like, I'm never going to get to reap the benefits of the work I'm doing. I'm going to be misunderstood and hated by people. Um, and even there's a scene where he's kind of standing at a distance, watching the battle happening on Ferrix. And he's like, I got to get out of town. And it's a tragic moment. I thought to see him like, well, this is what I wanted. It's happening. Now let me go back into the shadows so I can manipulate things a little bit more. We know that it's wearing on him that he's got this role and he's this character. So I feel like that that last moment with Andor really feels like a great place to leave those characters because you know that that's something that means something not just to Andor, but to Luthen, you know? Yeah. It also feels like all the characters mattered, like from the character Terramim to, like you, you see this guy that's like, it felt like he was like, Kind of, yeah, he was like a stormtrooper. You were, I I thought he was going to live. Then he gets killed. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, this is what the whole point of this is. Like, Andor wouldn't have felt the way that he did unless he saw the things that he saw. Unless he, he got these people that, like, if you found out you were, you were pro-movement, that they were willing to lose their lives for this movement mm -hmm. you know that's that's like everybody mattered everybody on the screen mattered all those people mattered and there's something really cool about that i didn't feel like that about anything else that i had seen in this this tv world but they did it i mean definitely in the tv world i mean this is like the yeah, deepest the deepest they've gone definitely and I mean, the show benefits from, you know, being afforded the ability to do that because right. of the franchise that it's in, mm. you know, so, you know, everything that Ronald's saying that you said, John, like, I totally agree with it. But I think the scope of this show only exists because of the success of Rogue One and, you know, because of what they're doing with Disney Plus, yeah, you know, yeah. like yeah, this, sure. this, this kind of show, like whether it, if it wasn't Star Wars, you know, probably would never exist with the scope and talent and you know, credentials that this show carries, but you know, the, the star Wars is kind of like of it all is, is what kind of even allows it to be. And I love the idea of yes, being able to see the ground, you know, like boots in the ground, you know, people said that about rogue one a lot, you know, that idea of what the rebellion looks like or what the rebels look like, but that the show is, you know, able to go even more granular, you know, and see kind of, um, how uh, what one thing that i really loved about it was like you got to see more of how interconnected you know the the, the machinations of the rebel alliance yeah. what they had in place mm -hmm. you know where this information was coming from you know and and how these things were being put into play like a character like luthan you know being able to play sides of you know two sides of a coin so well and you know the idea of even seeing members of the rebel alliance working for the empire, you know, like these characters that even if they wanted to get out, you know, they, they couldn't get out because like they were too deep into it at this point, like the one officer that visits him and, you know, Ooh, you see him working yeah. with Deirdre and everything. Yeah. I just thought all that stuff was like, great that, that, you know, you kind of got to see a little bit more of that because it's, it's cool to see how, I don't want to say how powerful they were, but like how, uh, how like deep, how, how like, deeply they had dug into the the different systems around you mm -hmm. know that they that they could access like i loved how the show handled revealing those kinds of things um 
And yeah, like, you the, like the real purpose of what they were building in the prison too. That even that right, had like, a had a point to it. Like sure, sure. Part of this almost like cosmic joke of this story of what Andor's doing and how connected to everything he is. You know, right. And I don't know. It just it it's the yeah. The more it sat with me as I was going along, it's just like there's so much story in this season of a show for star Wars, which seems so sorely lacking, you know, of great story. Right. You know, in years past. And I mean, especially when you talk, we, you know, enough about the trilogy, the most recent trilogy, like, you know, a lack of a cohesive story, right. You know, to That's see in problem. this season, you know, you kind of feel like you got like three mini movies that were just, and that were all great. You know, you got yeah. this first three episodes of, you know what's happening on Ferrix, and you got him, you know, being detained, and the whole Andy Circus arc, and all that. Andy Circus getting a second at bat in the Star Wars universe too is right. great. Acting and then you know the, the last four or five episodes kind of bringing us to the end. Like it just, I don't know, man. It was so it's it was so impressive. I was so happy that the buzz around it did not let me down, and that you know I was as into it as I was. And you mentioned it. The last thing I will say is like you mentioned it already, sort of, John. Is like the writing on the show is um just incredible yeah. you know and i don't want to even say for a star wars show i just it's just incredible for true. period um a lot of the stuff between marva and cassian like that stuff really knocked me out mm -hmm. and her you speech know, like, her, her speech in the last episode the hologram yeah. speech was incredible yeah, that the fact, was amazing. the fact that she's literally made into a brick. Her ashes are made into a brick that then gets used to smash, smash an Imperial's somebody. head. Yeah, and I loved Brasso, that character who kind of emerges more importantly yeah. in the end. I thought he was great. Um, uh, no, yeah, you're right. I mean, honestly, the dialogue, the, the writing, it, that's the big part of it. As someone who's loved this saga, this story since I was a kid to say, oh, no one's ever written Star Wars dialogue like that before. You know, like I've said, Lawrence Kasdan has got the fun, quippy, fast-paced, zingy dialogue covered, but to be able to slow down and tell this kind of lengthy story, slow burn storyline, and get all these interesting conversations in where it's like, normally I don't like that kind of thing, the kind of high-minded conversations about what it means to rebel or whatever, but these characters yeah. are actually dealing with that stuff in a tangible way. Yeah. Um, and like, for instance, the Mon Mothma stuff, I found it really interesting trying to picture like, oh, how does she have to maneuver to be the person we see later yeah. like sh her bravery and intelligence is so interesting too but she was kind of almost in a holding pattern all season and yet i found her incredibly interesting every time we talk totally. to her her world the way that her husband is not really on her side um or her daughter that, maybe the way that she may yeah. have to the way and the way that she may have to deal with the criminal underworld and maybe use her daughter as some kind of collateral to get the money she needs to help the rebellion i mean that's just complexity that you know they haven't had like uh, They've had complexity in gray areas in Star Wars characters before, but they haven't had this ability to dig in and show you the inner workings of it, not just the characters, but you kind of alluded to this, Steve, like the systems, the social yeah. systems, how things yeah. work. What You know how like in The Force Awakens, when Rey comes back and she makes herself a meal and we see like for a second, like, oh, that's what it looks like when you make a meal on Star Wars. Yeah, I feel yeah. like this show is full of that, of like, All oh, that, oh that's, what a, that's what an apartment looks like. That's what a breakfast table looks like in Star Wars world. That's what that's a shower what, looks like. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, and to think we haven't the seen morning it. after looks like, yeah. Oh, honestly. Well, I mean, let's talk about the fact that this feels a little adult in that way. Like, you know, this is a character who gets around in that way and you don't, yeah. it doesn't slow down to make you think about yeah. it. It's just kind of part of it. And there's a few characters who have like attachments that feel like there's a, yeah. 
there's something underneath the surface with them. I was like, um, they have resorts. I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love the resort town. I love the resort town, and I, and I can't wait till we actually meet the the K two S O droid that we that we know because I think. Yeah. That's going to be a fun moment. And again, you can see they've said the next season is really going to take more time jumps and it's going to have more like oh, missions cool. to do with the, the rebellion. And we're going to see K2SO at some point. That's and we're amazing. also going to see, like they said, someone pointed out there weren't a lot of alien races in this, you know, non-humanoids. And they said, that's very deliberate that as he yeah. gets more involved in the rebellion and that as the rebellion gets bigger, Scope, you'll, yeah. you'll see more diversity of the alien races. And I just got, again, I got little goosebumps going, well, of course that would make sense. You're on this little backwater planet and eventually yes. you're going to be connected to the whole galaxy. You know, um, that's beautiful. So I, I, I'm super excited about not just the notion that we're going to get a second season, probably in a couple of years, but knowing that they had this 24 chapter story somewhat planned out and we just got half of it and it was that solid. I have full faith that they're going to get us there because keep in mind, like Andor in Rogue One, he's he starts that movie, a guy who will shoot you if yes. it's convenient. Yeah. Um, so it's first. not like it's not like <laughs> this is the story of a guy who becomes, uh, you know, who who chills out. This is yeah. the story of a guy who learns how to be a tool of the rebellion rather than yeah. just a tool for whoever pays him, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's a really cool idea. Um, and again, Diego Luna, we cannot talk much about, I mean, he carries this show He's so great. effortlessly. He's been so good for so long, but this is such a good, like, I can, again, everybody working on it, you can see why they got so invested in it. And kind of what you said, Steve, maybe the fact that this was a a little sideline thing. They were kind of quietly doing a follow-up to Rogue One with this. You know, it did allow it maybe to become its own thing. So by the time yeah. it came out, there was a space. People knew that they kind of needed to do something that felt a little more adult. Mm. And to say good writing for Star Wars, you're right. We've said all along about Marvel and Star Wars shows, whenever they touch something that feels like the prestige television we watch in other avenues, you know, yeah. um, it's special. And this show yeah. actually feels like a prestige in my opinion, it feels like a prestige I television totally agree show. with you. <clears throat> Absolutely. Sure, Ronnie, you mentioned something earlier when, we, when you were first given your reaction. I, I just kind of, I think you would said something about just the idea of love and, yeah. you know, where, where it is in this story. And I just, you know, the, the, the way they really kind of focused on that with the relationship with Cassian and, and Marva, um, like we, I, I don't know why it stuck with me so much after the, seeing the episode, but it's kind of bookended a little bit towards the end when uh, Brazos kind of is Brad, Brad is that his name when he when he's reading him the letter that she gave him or yeah. told him what to tell Cassian. Yeah. But there's a scene earlier when he like comes back for her after after the Aldani Aldani uh, mission and like you know she's she's telling him that he can't or she can't go with him and he can't stay and he says I, I'm looking it up. He, it was like a line. It's like, he said, I won't have peace. I'll be worried about you all the time. And she says, that's just love. Nothing you can mm -hmm. do about that. And then at the end, and what in, 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 in exchange, she tells him, I, I've never loved anything the way I love you. And at the end, when he's reading her, or when he's telling him what, when Brazo is telling Cassie and what he, what he was told to tell him by Marva, the last line was to tell him, I love him more than anything he could ever do wrong. And like, <laughs> such a mob baby say. That sentiment, though, yeah, yeah, it is a mom thing to say. Yeah. But like her role in that town, her role in the in the, in the rebellion, and to follow that with the scene of her speech to the town, and man, like that whole role right there just gave me cold chills. Like just yeah. from from the moment they have that conversation about her, 
the ability that they had to make that character, you know, kind of the synthesis for what Cassian is, because yeah. she basically saved him in, in, you know, from a planet that was being destroyed. Yeah. You know, to, to kind of give her that bookend uh and kind of maintain the impact that she had on the people of the town. Yeah. And to see the respect that she was paid in, in her like memorial and all this stuff. Like that moment would be the moment that that town would rise up. Yeah. Fight. Like that was just it's, amazing. It was it's awesome. like he takes all these pieces of all that stuff. Like when he's I guess this is her is this her partner? They don't really say who the other guy, the black dude is. That yeah, um, I don't know. Is that it not seems Clem? like because yeah, like yeah, yeah, Clem. When when he's like okay. in the house, he's talking about don't tell yeah, Marva that we I love that he, in the house. I love that he named himself Clem when he's doing the undercover thing. Yeah. I know, and, and he did that before we found out. That, you know, that's one yes. of those little things that just yeah. felt like a name, and then we find out why he yeah. would use that name. It's so he's, so potent. He's washing the pieces and he's like, These things are worth five hundred credits. He's like, that's what me and you do. We find, I mean, paraphrasing, yeah. we yeah, find yeah, rusty yeah. things and you know, we know they're valuable. Like, yeah. come on, man. Okay. Like this, uh, and, and how brilliant was the addition of, uh, I think Nemec was the character's name, but the manifesto Nemec. that we heard, oh, like some of God. the stuff he was saying that feels like some of the best writing ever about like the nature of, you were talking about oppression and oppressors and it talks Just about, Nemec, uh, and, 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 you know, there's that great scene even with Andy Serkis and, uh, and Diego Luna where, um, Kino Loy is telling him, like, basically, you you sound you sound crazy saying that like we could do this, we could take these guards on and everything. Yeah. He says, um, and Cashin says, like, they just killed the, this whole floor of men just to keep this quiet. What does that sound like to you? And yeah. and Kino Loy says, I'd call that power. And Cashin says, or Cassian says, um, power doesn't panic. Yeah. What? It's Excuse me, yeah. and like that's the sign that the empire could be taken down is that yeah. they are they, they don't I mean and that's what's part of that stuff from the manifesto yeah, but just yeah. that line power doesn't panic I mean there's power so many little panic. lines like that and I feel like there was some other stuff I wish I could remember some quotes from from the kind of speech that yeah. we heard but it had just some lines like that that just made me think like this has got such intelligent things to say yeah. about the very thing that Star Wars is about which is about like rising up and what it means and yeah. and what why you need to take this system down and i don't know yeah yeah he, he made some comment in, in the manifesto about like how unnatural it was yes like yeah. how how it's how it's constantly like fighting to maintain how unnatural the hold it has over like oh uh, i mean it was great i mean yeah, yeah. yeah you um, mentioned the yeah, circus again that circus. scene when they finally take the room and he's telling him to talk to the men <sighs> come on and like encouraging him to like She's rally amazing. them yeah, that was phenomenal. It was like really I good. was so pumped up listening yeah. to him, like when he was like lighting up on that on that loudspeaker and like kind of coming into what he wanted to say, even though he yeah. was kind of scared. He was that was amazing. Cassian does that to everybody. You're there's right. That thing, You're right. You're there's right. that thing. Okay, so one thing Andy Circus is doing something that I I just haven't seen before, like that progression of. The energy that he had was amazing, right? It's like, stay in line. I'm going to get through this sentence, <laughs> you know? And then when he realizes that it's not going to happen and that you go to another prison instead of 
being free. Oh my God. They man, made like, the mistake of sending someone back into the same prison and then yes. had to kill all these guys to cover it up for it. And I got to say one of the best scenes in the whole season and therefore one of the best scenes in all of star Wars yeah. <laughs> is a quiet, <laughs> yeah, really. is a quiet scene in the hallway with that doctor. Yeah. Doctor, yeah. I bought it. that guy so much. He, there was yeah. some great casting of characters like that who look like an, a character actor from the 70s. That's something Rogue One yeah. did a lot, was yeah. like cast background characters that look like 70s yeah. guys, and it just <laughs> feels more like Star Wars. But that guy, when he's like, I don't know, I don't want to know his name. Oh, yeah. God. Like, and like he he had a better end than we're about to have all that stuff and the way he has to like send the guard away so he can whisper a few things about what's going on. But he's had it. And seeing that guy part of yeah. the escape later was cool because it's like, oh, it's cool to see that even that guy can be part of this. Kino Loy not being able to escape because he can't swim is horribly tragic. And the fact that this show just moves on. Yes. And says, you know, you, you may come back to him. You may not. But the notion of the last moment we see him, it's a sort of it's a it's another reflection of that. A person who plants a tree whose shade they're never going to get to sit in. Yeah. And also observation about that character. You guys were talking about it, like the way that his his belief in this system is just we're going to get out. All we yeah. got to do is I want everybody to make it to the day they get out. OK, yeah. they're not going to let us out. Okay, that changes everything. The simplicity of that line at the end of that episode when they're walking back and he says, how many guards um, do they have on each level? And he says, I don't know, there's something just badass. Yeah. But it's not just that. It's the way Andy Serkis says, never more than 12. Yeah. And but it goes to black and it's like the end of that episode. And I just got goosebumps. I was like, yeah. how, how is never more than 12? It reminds me of like on Breaking Bad <laughs> when like a very simple line or better call Saul, when a simple line becomes a badass line because of the context of it. Yeah, and Andy yeah, Serkis yeah. saying never more than 12 is one of my favorite little bits in this thing. So yeah, it's full of yeah. little things like that. I found the excerpt, by, by the way, guys, here's the thing that's great. Um, the imperial need for control is so desperate because it is so unnatural. Tyranny yeah, requires constant effort. It breaks, it leaks. Authority is brittle. Oppression is the mask of fear. And it knows this. The day will come when all these skirmishes and battles, these moments of defiance will have flooded the banks of the empire's authority. And then there will be one too many. One single thing will break the siege. Remember this. Try. Yep, that's it. I need right. that book. I need that. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, th there's people that you say. You can probably that... buy it on StarWars.com. <laughs> there are people that have pointed out, is that what Andor's wearing? He's wearing a, a little book in Rogue One that might that oh, might be like, a, oh, I mean, wow. that sounds like the kind of thing where maybe they filled in a detail that, that yeah. you know, I don't know if that was intentional, but the idea that that meant something to him is really cool. Anyway. That, yeah. That'd be cool if it was. Yeah. Well, obviously we're fans. We like Andor. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, there. There were a couple of things throughout the season that were kind of like a little off for me. Like, mm -hmm. it's not. I don't know that it's perfect, but it's it's just. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's definitely one or two for me of like the last ten years of, yeah. of the new of the newness in terms of Star Wars. Yeah, it's really no contest. I mean, I do really enjoy and love the Mandalorian for kind of me different too. reasons, um, but. Though, you know, that would probably be up in the conversation, too. But I just think that this show is something special. And I think that it really is an example of something that Disney Plus or Disney Lucasfilm can look at and be like, OK, this was this is what we need to do more of. And, you know, mix and match some other you know elements. But I mean, like the quality is really what you're talking about or, or what we're all talking about. Right. Yeah. It looked great as well. Real sets, real sets, none of yeah. that volume stuff with everything being a CGI yeah. 
set, or at least and, very, and very and limited I, and use I'm of okay that. With, again, mix that up if you want. But I mean, right. like, have have a balance. You know, like some of the volume stuff is amazing. You know, but but overdoing it is is very clear and very uh, obvious in certain situations. Yeah. But I mean, like, yeah, whatever they were afforded to do on this show is probably not what they can do with every show. So you know, find a balance. Yeah. But the quality of writing, and you mentioned it, John, is just like it just makes it, it it's just like it just makes everything so much better i mean it sounds dumb to say no, i mean it's like yeah, the but... focus on the spectacle and like the characters the legacy you can't you can't stand on that only for so long and like so it, it's been wavering and i feel like this is a show that truly has like just been like a shot of adrenaline for me like, I, like new, i'm so new excited chips to about cash it. in because they've cashed in totally. the nostalgia chips at this point they totally yeah. have but here's some yeah. new new uh uh chips to cash in for sure yeah, like can't, can't wait for two years uh or whenever it comes out next i, I would yeah. i would love to see more of this world and these characters <clears throat> as soon as possible all right Same. did you guys watch anything else oh really quick just to mention the first season of andor obviously is all out on disney plus if you haven't watched it or if you're catching up hopefully we didn't spoil too much if you haven't watched it but you know definitely a, a recommend all around uh, definitely go check out and it's 12 episodes so um, carve out some time and enjoy yourself some Andor season one. So yeah, sorry. Did or you, you can do, any- or you can do it the watch it the Steve way, which is to think you've got ten <laughs> episodes and then you get two bonus episodes at the end. <laughs> you know what's weird? Like when I was following it all on social media, it seemed like everything like peaked after episode ten. It did, and like Tony Gilroy was doing all these interviews and all the actors were doing interviews, and I was like, oh okay, it's ten episodes, like the yeah. season's over. And then I got to the end of 10 and was like, maybe it's over. There's, is there more? And I was like, oh, yeah, there's two more. But yeah, mm-hmm. just so I'm confirming, there's 12. Yeah. If you're watching it on Disney Plus like a you know normal person and you know watching the numbers go up, you'll see 12. But I just in my mind, for some reason, dog-eared, you know, like 10 because everybody yeah. was talking so much after 10. But, you know, whatever. A lot happened in episode 10. But um, yes. No, it was yeah, it was Disney the Plus. end of one of those arcs, and it could have yeah. felt like a season finale. Go find <laughs> it; it's great. It's it's some of the best Star Wars in a long time. So, um, yeah. Uh, what what else have you guys watched? Is there anything you wanted to mention? I didn't mean to cut you go off. I, Ronald, you maybe were about to mention something. No, no I really haven't been watching. Yeah. I, okay. I would just mention that I saw Glass Onion, but I don't have much to say that. I shouldn't just wait until you guys have seen it, but it's it's <laughs> it's that movie you've been waiting for, folks. If you want that movie with the star power and the the laughs and the big moments and that feels a little bit like it's ripped from the headlines, uh, it feels like it was all written in the last month or so based on the kind of targets that it's taken on. Um, oh wow! But I mean, like Knives Out was such fun. So if you are thinking, did they come back and do one of those sequels that's kind of like oh the first one but a little bigger and a little more? This is that movie so you know if you want more of that flavor and you if you like that swagger when people make a sequel to a thing that they didn't know they would ever get a sequel to but they 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 did because it's so successful you know like this is that it just has that feel daniel craig is having a blast um the whole cast is having a blast uh who pops up and when they pop up and how they pop up this is a movie that has a lot of fun with like cameos and with again just the goodwill that people have i think towards not just this movie specifically but like this type of star-driven kind of mid-budget movie that isn't a franchise. Well, I mean, it's a part of a franchise now, but it's not part of a, a, a pre-existing IP. Sure. Um, it feels like everybody's just 
there to have fun. And when I say cameos, if you, when you see the movie, you'll know what I mean. There's a couple moments where you have to kind of know who someone is to get a joke. Um, and the movie just keeps on rolling. So it feels very much like, I don't know, there's, there's fun. There's something seeping through the screen with this, with this, uh, movie that really feels like it's a, it's a symptom of how it was made and the people making it, you know, having a blast. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm one of the ones that didn't see it in it's one week run. So I'll, uh, I've been waiting for a movie like you said like this, but I guess I'll wait till December 23rd <laughs> when it comes out on Netflix to finally see it. I was hoping to try to go to the theater to see it. It didn't happen. But yeah, those that saw it seemed like they overwhelmingly loved it. It, it It's crazy how well it performed too. It's like leaving money on the table, right? Like not leaving it in tons theaters? Tons of money. Tons yeah. of money. Okay. Lots, tons and lots of money. And, lots and, lots of and there's conversations now I'm reading about like that. They're, they're considering maybe putting it back in theaters. Which should be like not maybe, but not before the Netflix premiere. I don't know. It's weird. Sloppy, they, sloppy. They botched the whole thing. Um, but yeah, I I mean, it did like crazy money in 600 theaters and change or whatever. But like it was number three for the week. And it was like, it's I can't. It's one of the ones you thought maybe they would break the mold and go a little deeper with a theatrical run. I don't think it would have had much of an impact on Netflix, but with their debut on Netflix, rather, right? But yeah, I, I can't wait to see it, and uh, it'll be here soon, thankfully. Yeah. Um, is the website. If you want to find the podcast there, you can subscribe to the the show on any podcast platform that you prefer. You can listen to the episodes right on that site. Uh, in addition, you can go to youtube.com slash movie podcast if you want to subscribe to the video portion of the podcast. And uh, make sure you hit the subscribe like button to get the notifications when the videos come out. And uh, next week, what was your pick again? Require you? What's called Truck Turner? Truck Turner. Truck Turner. 1974's Truck Turner. Can't wait. Um, which I have no <laughs> idea where that's going to be found, but we'll probably post some videos between now we'll and then, letting somewhere. people know where to find it if they want to watch along yeah. with it. Um, all right, guys. Good seeing you both. Uh, and as always, you've made a day. Thanks. Bye.